Hi, welcome to the Southern Soil Podcast. My name is Leanna Tatum. I'm your host. Today and every day, we are talking about growing our local food communities. If you love growing food, cooking food, or if you just really love to eat good food, you are in the right place. So pull up a chair and let's get this conversation started. Hey, thanks so much for joining me for this episode of Southern Soil, uh, where I am actually brave enough to um, have the tables turned on me a little bit. And in this episode, I am interviewed by Chef Francisco Jimenez, um, who I have interviewed in the past, and he got the chance to put me in the hot seat for this one and talk about some of the reasons why I started Southern Soil and do the podcast and do these things that I do when it comes to trying to support and promote local food systems. Um, I want to clarify something that we talk about in the episode because I realize in listening back to it that I sound rather flippant about what I'm saying and, and I really am not flippant about it at all. So we talk a little bit about my brief flirtation, if you will, with vegetarianism when I when I discovered a lot of the ills of of factory farming and the way that we produce meat in our current system here in the U.S. And so one of the things I kind of talk about is you know I thought about it but I decided against it and you know that I like to eat meat and I found a way to eat meat that I felt was in line with what i with my ethics and what I believe and that everything that I state in there is true. But, um, I just want to be sure that I don't come across as taking this thing lightly. And also that, you know, I don't have anything against people who choose vegetarianism or even, or veganism for themselves. I think that there's a lot to be said for, you know, the, the health benefits of not eating meat or eating less meat. Um, and I certainly have no problem with anyone who chooses those things for themselves or just, you know, ethically they're, they're not comfortable with eating, you know, meat or animal products. I understand that. I have no issue with that whatsoever. One of the things that was important to me in choosing to continue to eat meat, but to eat meat that was raised in a way that was in line with my values is that as I dug deeper into it, I began to understand the importance of that synergy of having the livestock on the land and the benefits that they bring to the land itself and, and the benefits that they bring in terms of then growing organically grown produce. And so aside from just the fact that yeah, my, my taste, I, I would like to have meat in my diet. It also really became clear to me as I researched the important role that these animals play when they're raised in the right way, when they're raised outside, when they're raised on the land itself, and that synergistic relationship between those animals and the land and the food that's grown there. Um, all of those things working together to make a healthier planet to make healthier food systems. And so I really think if you, if you take animals out of that system, as we've done right now to raise them separately, but if you take them out of that system, as in no longer raising animals for meat, like there's, there's this movement that's saying, you know, the only way we can protect the planet, the only way we can protect um, animal welfare is to, stop eating meat. And that's, that's where I disagree fundamentally. And, you know, where I feel like there's a disconnect between the science and the sentiment. Um, so I just kind of wanted to clarify that before the conversation starts, just because I know that, that I kind of came across a little bit flippantly in that regard. And there's nothing flippant about 
the process I went through to make the decision to continue to eat meat, but to eat meat in a way where it's raised ethically and, and humanely, those are decisions that I take very seriously. Um, and I just wanted to clarify that before we get started, but I hope you enjoy this conversation. Uh, Cisco and I always have a lot of fun when we talk. And so I just, I hope that, that you can enjoy that as well. Happy spring. Happy spring. Um, in addition to allergies. Right. What else do you like about spring? What do you like? Well, I don't like allergies, first of all. <laughs> what, what, what do you get to look forward to in spring aside from allergies? Uh, oh, that, okay, there we go. Uh, um, I don't know. I, I, like, I like the promise of spring. You know, um, I think winter and spring, your garden is perfect because it's all in your head. <laughs> so it's like this amazing thing, right? Like I love the garden before it's actually planted. Um, so that's, that's one of my favorite things. I like planting things. I like, I like starting a garden. Um, I think that's one of the things with, uh, so I have ADD. And I think that's one of the um, great things, one of the great benefits of having ADD is that it's, I'm very good at starting things. <laughs> so, so I like spring because it is a great time to start things. <laughs> how, about, how about completing them? That is a whole different issue. Um, yeah, so completing things is where it gets challenging, but I love to yeah. start things. Okay, so I love the planning and starting process. So since you started things, what about Southern Soil? Why did you start that? Why did I start Southern Soil? So um, Southern Soil was kind of a, a process that I didn't realize was a process until I was uh, into it, <laughs> if that makes any sense. It's one of those things. Um, there are people like yourself, you've spent your entire career in the food industry, correct? And, um, you know, I, so. I know people who have had very direct career paths. I am not one of those people. So <clears throat> my process of starting Southern Soil was sort of started on my own journey of discovery. I've always been an animal advocate I guess you could say, um, my family, we always, we always seem to end up taking in strays and, you know, doing things like that. And I've always been passionate about animal welfare and, and sort of making a better, you know, world for animals. And I had, was in the process of finishing up my, uh, master's in public administration. And one of my, sort of capstone projects was to create a virtual nonprofit. So I created one around the idea of animal welfare. And during that process, I ended up meeting the man who was then the president of the Humane Society um, and a very influential person in, in that world. And he kind of, he said, well, is this for, you know, um, all animals are just like the cute and cuddly animals, you know? And so like my knee-jerk reaction was all animals, of course, you know? Well, this, this particular individual, he is vegan and, and um, kind of along, along those lines. So he obviously does, doesn't eat meat and all that sort of thing. So he sort of challenged me about meat. And as someone who is a devout carnivore <laughs> and, and still am, um, I was like, well, I've, you know, I was okay with the ethics of eating meat, but I had never given a lot of thought to how those animals were raised in the American food system. Um, I think we all have this image of, you know, the classic American farm, right? There's a farmhouse, there's chickens out front, there's a cow, you know, like I know where the meat essentially came from, but I had a more idealized vision of how those animals were being raised. Sure. So 
his challenging me in that way, I ended up going down this rabbit hole of research. Right? And I started discovering all these like really horrendous, and this was in 2009. Um, so, so it wasn't as talked about then as it is now. And so I started sort of finding out all these practices. And, and when I say practices, I mean, they're, they're industry practices that in and of themselves are inherently abusive. I mean, there's really not any other word to give to it. Um, and it, it really just sickened me just, and I don't like to get into the negatives of it. If you want to understand what's going on, you can spend five minutes online and kind of get a feel for it. Right. But in general, you're talking, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like you can be thoroughly disgusted within a few minutes. And I'm the kind of person who doesn't take anything at face value. So I would be like, okay, well, that's, you know, is this person pushing an agenda, you know, and dug deeper and, and, but even within the industry guidelines themselves, you can see the pattern of abuse. So just in terms of uh, so many animals packed into small spaces, you sure. know, um, I mean, and in the past, you know, since, since I did my research and, and today, there's a lot of things that are more public, like the um, cages for the chickens that lay hens, they, they make those bigger now, but they're still, they're still cages and they're still packed in there. But, you know, initially they were on these things that were literally the size of a piece of notebook paper. And that's where a laying hen spent her life. And that's how the egg industry operated. And another way that the egg industry operates, that is something that they don't, that they admit to as a practice. So like eggs, when they hatch, naturally hatch almost 50% male to female. Well, the egg industry has no need for male chickens, right? Like they are, sorry, I, you know. Yeah, they don't lay eggs. <laughs> they good. don't lay eggs. They're not needed for egg production. Um, they're, they have, they serve no purpose. So when they hatch and they are male, they are literally, literally fed down a conveyor belt into a chipper. And so these live chicks go into a chipper where they are chipped, obviously. Made into chicken nuggets? Uh, yeah. And then they are actually put back into the food system for those chickens. Yeah. So, you know, I found that really disturbing and not just for the chickens, but imagine the person whose job it is to do that. You know, oh, yeah. at, at some point, like you become thoroughly desensitized to what you're doing. And what does that do to you as a person? You know what I'm saying? And, and that's just one aspect, one cog, if you will, in the giant industry that sure, is yeah. our food production. And, you know, it just kind of sent me down this spiral where I was like, you know, I mean, you can get into things that are done in the dairy industry. Um, you know, the, the other one that's, that really struck me was um, the way that hogs are raised. Um, so the pork industry in this country, I don't know if you know anything about pigs, but pigs are kind of on an equal level with dogs in a lot of ways. Their social connection, their intelligence level. And- You used to have a great pig named Ernesto. Really? Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. A lover, he's dirty, very dirty, but he's a lover. Yeah, yeah. And they are, they can be very affectionate. And I, and I still eat pork, but the way that the pork Probably industry- because it's delicious. Exactly. And the way that the industry dealt with it though, it was just kind of like, when you look at it, it's like, I can't support that, you know? So I was really had this dilemma because I love meat. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, I can't support 
what's going on here. What I'm seeing is going on here. So I sort of felt like my only option was to become a vegetarian. And so I started kind of exploring that, but then I also kind of was resistant to that on a lot of levels, not just because I like bacon. Um, so I was like, okay, so what are my alternatives then? And my, my immediate thought kind of went towards the idea of game meat. So, cause I mean, I like deer meat and that kind of thing. And, um, I found this website, which was called, and I know this feels like a really, really long story to your very simple question, but I'm getting there. I found this website called, um, Eat I only have three questions. So it's good that you're okay. Actually- awesome. Yeah. yeah. So I'll just take it and run with it. <laughs> so, um, and I'm scared to know what your other two might be. Um, so I found this website and it's called eatwild.com, right? And aside from kind of what you think of when you think of eat wild, which is like foraging and hunting, but they had links to all these farms that were doing like pasture raised meats. And this was an, it, it's a new concept, but it's really the concept that I kind of thought meat was being done anyway, right? Before, before I went down the rabbit hole, it's kind of how I thought meat was being raised. So I say it was like this new concept, but it was really just the idea that, okay, there is a way to eat meat the way I thought I was eating meat, but wasn't, if that makes sense. And um, so I actually found two farms in this area. So hunter cattle, and Savannah River Farms were two farms that were on that site. And um, this was, like I said, 2009. So they were both kind of just getting started at that point. Okay. And I think the Savannah Farmers Market was kind of, the Forsyth Farmers Market was kind of really just getting rolling at that point too. So, <clears throat> and this, this was something I found after a considerable amount of effort on my part, and I consider myself kind of a researcher. I mean, I was in the middle of doing a master's degree and you know, when you're in that, you're constantly having to research, right? So I just started wondering like, how does, how is anybody gonna learn about this stuff? <laughs> you know, your average person isn't gonna get lost down a rabbit hole for two weeks. Cause that's the other side of ADD, by the way. <laughs> like. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's the concept of people who have ADD can't focus well that's true but we can also get completely lost in something and you know all of a sudden you pick up your head and it's like literally days later and you're like oh crap so anyway um so this idea I think that's where the seed was planted so we talk about spring and planting that's kind of where the seed got planted and then it was many years later <laughs> Um, and I had sort of gone through this whole evolution in my life and had never, uh, set out to be a writer, um, ended up, I've always liked to write and I've always, like, that was always my favorite part of being in school. Cause I hated school. Um, but that was like the one thing that I liked about it, but I never, I never thought of it as a profession, right? Like it never crossed my mind to when I went to college to study writing. And I ended up needing a job and the local paper had a writer position open. And um, so I applied and they, like the interview process was you had to interview someone and write an article. And I had never written from an interview before. So I'm, I'm like Googling, like, how do you do an interview? <laughs> Funny, I did the same thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Obviously, I didn't really learn because when you're asking me, I'm like, I don't know. I don't prepare questions ahead of time. <laughs> <laughs> so I did this interview. So I interviewed this person and I wrote this article and I ended up getting the job. So I ended up working for the local paper for a few years and um, kind of really as I got into it, discovered that I loved writing. Like I love hearing people's stories and kind of sharing their stories. And uh, <clears throat> so I've kind of found myself, I was doing freelance work. I had also gotten into 
doing social media um, promotion for some companies and I was doing freelance writing and I kind of ended up having this lull in work coming in. It was in December and everything in the writing world is usually slow that time of year. And I thought, why don't I just create something for myself? You know, something that I can do that I can, you know, be passionate about and get excited about um, and just kind of, you know, create my own thing. And so in the course of probably one and a half to two weeks, I sort of created from scratch what is now Southern Soil. So I sort of built um, the concept and the website and started creating all the social media things and whatnots and started trying to set up interviews. Dave uh, Snyder at Halyards was my first Southern Soil interview. <laughs> and uh, so I just, I just kind of started and I really wanted to create something that I myself had been looking for. And that was to feel connected to other people who were looking for options other than what you find at the grocery store. And I knew how hard it had been for me to connect. And I knew how committed I was to finding people. And I was like, if it's that hard for someone who's that good at research and that committed to finding someone, how hard is it for the average consumer or the person who may not even feel like they even need to look for something else? So a very, very long answer to your very short question. And that do, do you think that um, you find the same issues still if people are still having trouble making that connection? I mean, obviously it's a little easier. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's gotten a lot easier, but yeah, definitely. It's still, there's still a disconnect between consumers and farmers. There's still a disconnect between chefs and farmers. There's still a disconnect between farmers and farmers. Um, There's a disconnect in this community, which I'm hoping that that Southern soil is helping with. And I know behind the scenes, I've done a lot of, um, introductions you know with people and and helping make those connections um and i think the i know the magazine itself has because people have told me oh i didn't even know we had a dairy in georgia you know until i read this or and um so yeah i think um i think we still have a long way to go um and i think what i'm what i'm trying to do and what i really feel like my goal for 2022 is um, is to get Southern Soil's name out there, get the brand out there so that people, when they think about local food, will think about, oh, let me check Southern Soil and see, you know, what I can find there. Um, because that's, that's what I created it to be. Sure. Was that platform to help bring people together. Um, so yeah, I think there's a lot that's gotten better over the past, you know, four or five years. Um, I hope that Southern Soil has played a small role in some of that, and I hope to play an even greater role in that going forward. So you you started as a digital magazine. Right. You've gone to print. Is that correct? Uh, <clears throat> yeah. So this year, we did, for the first time, uh, had the option to pre-order a printed edition which that has had a few hiccups of its own, but we're going to do it again this year and hopefully have it go out smoother. So yeah, it'll be kind of, it's, it's a compilation issue um, and it has to be purchased and prepaid for. And the reason for that is that print is ridiculously expensive. So <laughs> people have asked me, you know, well, why don't you do a printed and, um, you know, I, I think in order to do that, I would A, have to charge way more for advertising than I do right now. And B, I would probably need to try charge a subscription fee. Mm-hmm. And I, I've, I've always wanted to keep the content free because um, I don't want that to be a barrier for people learning about local food. Gotcha. You know? 
Okay. But so yeah, we we've we've ventured into the printed media this year. This and or then, last and year. then your podcast is is recent also. I mean last yeah. end of last year. So yeah. what what why did you feel like I gotta start a podcast? Were you just sitting around listening to podcasts thinking I should do this too? <laughs> Actually, no, I've never really been a podcast person. Um, I've started listening to more now that I'm doing one. It's kind of it kind of started so the very when I first started Southern Soil and actually the interview I did with with Dave was the series that I was calling Table Talk. And the idea behind it was that I wanted to have conversations with people from all different aspects of a food system. So chefs, restaurateurs, you know, uh, market organizers, farmers, um, advocates to sort of ask kind of the same basic questions and see what common answers came out really as an effort, kind of like a long-term research effort (laughs) to sort of figure out what issues we're having with local food and maybe what some of those solutions could be. And it was terrible for an article. Like it would be, it was, it would be this long thing. And I think like nobody was reading them. I mean, I was thoroughly fascinated by the process, right? But I don't think it translated well as an article and so much just to keep it so that it didn't go ridiculously long. I mean, a lot of the conversation had to be sort of whittled down to sort of key points. Um, Are you saying that your ADD might not keep you on track? (laughs) It's possible. (laughs) When I'm getting bored with my own article, that's when you have to go, this isn't working, right? (laughs) So So, um, you touched touched uh, briefly on having some issues with um, getting sponsorship and... um, helping to promote others via, you know, your, your magazine, but also just trying to get those sponsors in there. What are you still having those issues with the sponsors? Like what, what, what are the issues that you face kind of daily yeah. or monthly with yeah. that? Let me, let me touch real quick back on the podcasting thing. Oh, sorry. You weren't done. I, I, it's okay. It's all good. No, I was just going to say that, that I always ended up, you know, no matter what I was doing in terms of an interview, we, after the interview, we'd always have these great conversations. And I would think to myself, what if, you know, it would be so cool if people could just hear (laughs) the conversations that we're having around food, because I'm talking to people that are super passionate about what they do. And obviously I'm passionate about what they're doing. Um, And so, I mean, we would just have these these conversations that, you know, I felt like um, touched on a lot of the issues that were shared issues because I would hear kind of the same repeating things when I would talk with people. And so I think that 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 element of it was, was one of the reasons I wanted to do a podcast. And I think the other reason um, was at, at 46 years old, um, which I've been telling myself I'm 47 all year, but I'm actually only 46. So I, you know, I've come to the point in my life where I really wanted my voice. And, and as a writer, um, it's really about using that voice for others, which I'm happy to do. And that's, you know, what I'm still doing, but it was kind of nice to have a platform where I could actually share my own voice and my own thoughts on things um so that that wraps that up yes so sponsorship issues has always been an issue for me um for a few reasons I think one of the reasons being um the natural kind of people to advertise in southern soil 
would be like the farms and the restaurants that are doing the sustainable thing because they want to reach this audience that's looking for those things. But the problem with that was most of them are small businesses that can't really afford advertising. <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's like, and here I am, I'm passionate about promoting what they're doing. And so it's like asking, you know, Hey, can you buy an ad? You know, it felt, it felt wrong, I guess, in a way. Um, so that was kind of my first struggle, I think. And then two, it's sort of the catch 22 thing. So when you're starting something like this from scratch, like, a, I don't know of too many people who start publications like this from scratch. And usually you would have like an investor backing or, you know, and literally I had nothing. I mean, it was just me and my computer and I'm going to do this. Right. And so I think there was a lack of confidence on my part to go to an advertiser and say, Hey, you know, you should put your money into this. Um, and I think that that kind of comes down on, on my level of confidence. Um, and that's something that I think I've worked through over the past few years. I can now look at Southern Soil as something beyond myself and get out of my own way <laughs> where that's concerned and be like, hey, we really do have something legitimate to offer an advertiser here. And we have a great uh, community around Southern Soil. And um, the other issue, which you and which I was talking with you about the other day, is the social media aspect of trying to advertise and promote. And they've started making it really difficult to just promote your own stuff. And they've started making it difficult to promote other businesses. Um, I'm actually banned from promoting my own things like my personal account is banned from from paying for advertisement I have no idea why they've never been able to explain to me why I have no recourse for fixing yeah um and I have no recourse for making it better like I I have no trial or whatever you know to say (laughs) what how did I break your community standards I don't know so if I don't know what I did wrong, how do I know not, you know what I mean? How do I know not to do it in the future? Um, so that has been really weird. And then- you want me to call Mark Zuckerberg and ask him? Yeah, would you? Is he, he on he your does. personal contact list? Yeah, he's on my faves. <laughs> yeah, ask old, old Mark there. What- Hold your breath what the heck is going on? I'd rather not, thanks. (laughs) But yeah, so that's been frustrating. And then they bought Instagram. So now whatever sins I committed in Facebook now apply to me on Instagram. So, um, so my dog has an Instagram account and I posted. How does he do that without having opposable thumbs? He's very talented. He has, he has a, a nose and he can, <laughs> no, I actually operate his account on his behalf. So I was posting something on there about what a weirdo he is. And I got flagged. Like they were like, this is considered hate speech because I called my dog a weirdo. And I'm like, if you ever saw him in the back of a vehicle, you would totally agree with me that he's a weirdo. <laughs> But this is this is what it's come to, and it's this like is the world that we live in. This is the world that we live in, and these companies have so much control over what we can and cannot post. And so, a lot of times when I'm on Facebook and I'm just trying to thank an advertiser, you know, and I'll thank them and I'll tag them or whatever, and then I'll get this warning that, you know, I'm not allowed to do that. So that makes things difficult so I've had to come up with different words so sometimes it's like gratitude (laughs) for (laughs) such and such (laughs) and and I'm staying away from from words like sponsors and advertisers um and I get where they're coming from in terms of wanting to identify paid 
advertisements, but it's not a paid advertisement. It's an, you know, like some, like I have art, article sponsorships, right? So I have businesses like um, Exclusive Engravings in Richmond Hill that is our um, small farm spotlight sponsor. So the article that's there that I'm posting on Facebook has nothing to do with Exclusive Engravings. I'm just thanking them because they're a sponsor and making it possible for me to do this article. Sure. And then I get flagged by Facebook and it's like, you know, what, what, what am I supposed to do? So there's been some workarounds that I've been trying to do and I'm trying to be as creative as possible in those terms, but I'm really excited because, and I don't have everything fleshed out and it's a work in progress, but the website is something I'm really devoting a lot of time to. So in 2022, my other goal is to really create a dynamic homepage for Southern Soil, southernsoil.org. <laughs> it's O-R-G, not com. <clears throat> so, um, but trying to create a space there that's dynamic that, you know, will make people want to check it once a week, um, which if they do now, we have new content there all the time and all of our content is always there. So every article that has ever been published can be accessed through our website, every blog, every podcast, um, all of those things. We also have a directory there. So I try to keep that as up to date as possible and you can search it by city or um, type. So if you wanna look for a farm, you can search. So you can find like a farm that's near you that's, that's using sustainable methods to grow or a restaurant near you that's sourcing local sustainable foods. Uh, so it's a great resource that I hope people will <clears throat> will take make use of. Um, and just trying to create that space. And I'm also creating a space there for our advertisers and sponsors so that we can develop sort of a community around that so that people, because the thing with, with Southern Soil is I don't let just anybody advertise with us. Um, That's why I'm not an advertiser yet. Right, because yeah. I'm still, I'm still not sure you're trustworthy. So no, I, I haven't approved your application. I'm, a lot, a lot of friends and family that have the same <laughs> concerns as you. Still, still conducting those background checks. Something, something got hung up in Columbia or something. I don't know. Um, we're still waiting on a report back from down there. But no, um, but there's certain criteria that that businesses need to meet for me to allow them to advertise, which may sound strange, but that's part of the community that I'm creating. What so that would when, those be? What would for those, those be? who might want to advertise with you? Okay, very good question. So what I'm looking for are local businesses on the bigger aspect, you know, like brands, like Georgia brands, um, but mostly like local businesses in the area that are either in the sustainable local food system in some way, or demonstrate a support for that, um, either in their business practices or, you know, maybe if it's like a car dealership or something, you know, that they donate or support, you know what I'm saying? Um, sure. Aspects of, you know, maybe they host a recycling center or something along those lines. But, you know, businesses that have, an ethos around the idea of sustainability and, you know, fair pay for employees and things like that. Because basically our readership are people who are those conscientious consumers that are looking not just for a product or a service, but one that also supports their worldview. So um, that's what I'm working to create. And so that the website will be someplace where they can go and they can see, you know, the businesses that are supporting what we're doing and also recognize that those businesses are businesses that they can, you know, trust beyond just what a certain product is. Sure. So, and that I think gives an edge. I think we're getting to a point where advertisers who have, you know, I think it's to the point where having the biggest reach and being the loudest voice isn't necessarily 
the best way to go for sales and connecting with people who creating relationship with people and building trust and loyalty with people. Um, and I think that this community can help do that. So that's kind Especially of- Especially if you're, if you're you know, in it and that's kind of what you're passionate about. I mean, it's, to me, it's a good place to market and advertise because your, your reader, your readers or right. your followers and, and the people that are, um, are surrounding themselves with you are like-minded, you know, right. they, have, they have that same passion. So, yeah. Yeah. So even if you're a brand that's not selling, you know, food related things, but you're passionate about, you know, keeping plastic out of the oceans and using, you know, responsible manufacturing practices or things like that, you're connecting with people who are like, oh, if I'm going to, you know, like back to the dealership thing, if I'm going to buy a car, you can buy a car from anywhere, right? It's pretty much, you're pretty much going to buy, pay the same price. And there's, you know, a bunch of dealerships, but if you, oh, this dealership is in my neighborhood and, and they donate towards, you know, water cleanup things and they do this and that, then, you know, you, you feel better about spending your money with that business. Um, and so I think that's kind of the community I'm, I'm hoping and working towards creating and then to be able to have that edge to say, yeah, you can advertise with anyone, but if you want to connect with people who will choose you because they support what you're doing, um, you know, connect with these people here. Sure. So we talked about, we, we briefly touched on a stint of vegetarianism for you. Apparently that didn't work out. It was out. brief. <laughs> You just so, so touching it briefly is appropriate, I think. Gotcha. Got <laughs> um, but you know what? And we talked about kind of like why you like, um, you know, what what drove you to this point. But yeah. what do you do on a day to day, like for yourself? You know, yeah. you're you're in Claxton. You're based yeah. out of Claxton. Yeah. So, you know, what do you, what are you able to kind of do for yourself on an everyday basis? How do you feel like um, your area? And I'm not really familiar with Claxton except for those chickens. Um, uh, yeah, which you know, how does it support what you would your vision <laughs> and what kind of what your yeah your... it's yeah. Um, so there's been there there uh, I never want to present myself as like you know I've got it all together and figured out and I do everything right. I think anybody who's followed me for any period of time knows that I'm pretty transparent about that. Um, I, my biggest shift uh, 10 years ago to, uh, I guess that uh, 13 years ago, crap, time goes by fast, was uh, like you said, my, my flirtation with vegetarianism was brief. Um, because I found farms that were raising meat in a way that I found to be ethical and, and morally something that I could um, get on board with, thankfully. Um, and so that was my main priority. And that remains my main priority is, is sourcing meat and meat products or animal products um, locally and sustainably. And Sometimes that's been a real hardship because I've had in the past 13 years, I've gone through a few periods where <clears throat> I was, how do they, how do they term it these days? Under, underemployed. <clears throat> and uh, so there were times when that was tough and it, it challenged me. And it was one of those things people will talk about how you can't afford to, you know, it's too expensive to eat that way or whatever. And it is expensive. I'm not, I'm not trying yes. to, yeah, it is. But if you make it a priority, you know, maybe you can go without cable or maybe you can go without some, you know, membership subscription that we all have 50 million of. Um, I learned that I could live on very little and that I really didn't, you know, it sort of forced me out of a materialistic lifestyle that I was on a path towards, but you, you, you make priorities. And so that has been one of my main priorities. 
I am fortunate that Statesboro has a very successfully done um, farmer's market that they do. And they do a, a weekly to go market that they maintain throughout the year. So that's where I source most of my dairy and meat through there. And um, that, that helps a, a lot because I really, really didn't want to be a vegetarian. But I actually do eat, I don't, I don't eat as much meat. And that is one way that you can find that kind of um, choice more accessible. Um, yes, you pay more for meat. So maybe you don't make meat, you know, the main part of every meal, yeah. you know. Um, so it doesn't that, have to be the center of the plate as, as we call it. Right, right. Yeah, it can be, it can be a side portion. And that makes a difference. And that's something that, that I try to do. I try to grow food for myself. I'm not a particularly good gardener as we covered in the beginning. I'm good at starting great things. Starting. <laughs> Garden, gardens require a great deal of attention. And um, I sort of rue the day that I ever went away from container gardening because that was sort of, um, and I may be going more back towards that. Also, my dad currently is having a lot of, of health issues. He's um, 82 and battling cancer. And so I'm frequently away from home and for, you know, for days at a time and, and it'll end up being, so the last few years I've gardened less because, uh, you know, if you have a garden, you kind of sort of need to be on top of it every day. And if you go away Usually for a few, yeah. yeah. If you go away for a few days in the summer, things can get out of control really fast. Um, and I, I would leave and there would be all these little tiny cucumbers and I'd come back and they'd all be shriveled on the vine. And I'm like, okay, yeah. never mind. <laughs> happened, happened to us last year. Yeah. Let's put a garden. Let's go away for a month. Right. Yeah. It doesn't, I don't know. It doesn't work that great. For some reason, they don't like to take care of themselves. But I'm trying to do more of things that do take care of themselves. So I've been planting um, fruit trees. I have three quarter acres here and um, I'm, I'm into permaculture. Are you familiar at all? A, a little. Yeah. So the idea behind permaculture is, uh, it's sort of in the word. So permanent agriculture, I guess, are the two words that are put together. Um, it's sort of, the concept of planting things once and and planting them in such a way that they sort of are self-sustaining to a certain degree <clears throat> and so that works out well for someone who doesn't necessarily want to get out and pull weeds in a hundred degree so hundred percent uh, humidity weather do are you planting them like you said, fruit trees, are you doing um, peaches or? So citrate? I, yeah, most, what seems to be work best in my yard is, so satsumas have done really well um, and blueberries have done really well until this year when the freeze got the blueberries. And I was very sad because I look forward to my blueberries every year. And it's only been the past year or so that I've actually had enough blueberries that I could also get some because the birds beat me to them. <laughs> so it's like the last couple of years I finally had enough where it's like, oh my God, I actually get to eat some too. <clears throat> and they're jerks because they will go out there and eat them when they're still pink. Like they're not even blueberries yet. Like anyway. Are the and then they'll spit them out because they're like, ooh, this is gross. And it's like, yeah, it's still pink, you stupid bird. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know if they're colorblind or what, but they annoy me. Oh, but no, in, um, in permaculture, when you planning, when you're planting them, yeah, are you planting them? Um, are you plotting out how you're like laying down your satsumas and your yeah, and your so berries? like you know, obviously, different things need different stuff, and one right. might create more nitrogen or um, or require more, so they're they yeah uh, grow symbiotically. Yeah. So the idea behind permaculture too is, is the idea of guilds. So planting multiple things together. And it's also a great way to, to utilize space. Um, 
so each guild would have layers so like your fruit tree would be your tolly or there could be like a shrub like a blueberry bush or um a raspberry or something along those lines and then you sort of have like a ground cover so like you know you could do herbs or strawberries or things like that and then you usually can incorporate like a vine or or roots that go deep and so the idea being that you have multiple layers both above ground and below ground so the root systems generally are this look similar to what we see above so if things spread out wide they usually have a wide root system sure um so yeah i i try to incorporate things like that medicinal herbs one of my favorite things to plant around my blueberries is called comfrey and it has a really deep tap root. So blueberries have a very shallow root system, which keeps them from being able to reach a lot of nutrients. Um, the tap root goes really deep and it pulls up a lot of things um, like potassium and keratin and things that are like deeper in the soil. And then you can, they make these really big leaf systems and then you can just kind of like chop it and it's called green mulch. So you just chop it and then just throw it on the ground. <laughs> and as it, you know, decays, it not only helps in weed barrier, but it feeds the soil from above. So that's, that's one of the things that I use a lot of. I use a lot of oregano as kind of a ground cover because it does really well here. Mm -hmm. Some people call it uh, invasive, <laughs> but I... <laughs> I plant it where there's like, where I don't want grass, you know, like there's grass that's growing and I don't really care to have grass because I'm not a cow, so I don't have much use for it. So I um, will plant that. So I have oregano kind of around the base of my blueberries um, and it sort of does a good job of choking out other weeds and things. So yeah, there's, there's a lot of, I did like a permaculture design course that was free um, one time online out of the out of Oregon State University um, which was really cool and I try to remember what I learned from there and incorporate things and um, yeah I've kind of started closer to the house and then as I build those things I want to move further out and continue to add different different levels and different types of fruit and different things like that. I really want to build long-term for the future and have the property be something that can help give back to me as I get older also. <laughs> I don't, and I think the, that's the other aspect too. I, I want to put in some, some kind of permanent raised beds to build a garden um, just because, you know, you get to a point where crawling around on the ground and pulling weeds becomes less and less appealing. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's just like yeah I don't want to do that uh, but yeah so really those are kind of some ways that I try to do local um, I, I don't think you can get any more local than your own yard and I don't think it it gets any more rewarding than going out in your own yard and oh, it's like yesterday sure. I went out and I was just checking on stuff and I found a strawberry and it was ripe and I'm like oh my god like I never get to eat a ripe strawberry because the birds and the rabbits and everybody always find them before I do <laughs> so it's like I get it I found it first <laughs> and um so that was cool and and when the oranges are in season and when the blueberries are in season I mean I'm out there every day you know eating fresh fruit you know at at no more expense to myself than than the initial cost it does take a while to get that back because sure. I think, you know, five or five years or so before you really start to harvest. But once you start to harvest, it's, it's addictive. Like it really is. Like I'm, I want to plant more stuff <laughs> and I want to get these. All my citrus trees to produce like more than one or two fruit. A yeah. Year. When did you plant them? Um, well, they're still in pots. They haven't gone on the ground. I don't okay. Know when did you acquire them? <laughs> like three years ago. Okay. Did you put them in bigger pots or are they still they're, in there? They're in very large pots. Okay. They're large. They yeah. just, I don't know. There's a lot of blooms coming out on them right now. Is it the I first year they've bloomed well? They, they have 
Well, one has bloomed well. The Meyer lemon has bloomed well. The Satsuma doesn't no. like me at all. And, and my grapefruit doesn't like me. Hmm. Grapefruit's in the ground. Okay. It might just need a little time. I mean, I don't remember how I had my oranges. I think I had planted them a year or two and they were fairly advanced. I mean, they were probably three year trees when I planted them. Um, and it was about a year or two before I got anything. And one year I got 30 off of one that was close to my house. And then the one that was away from my house, I got one. One, one orange and it was a perfect orange it was beautiful it was tasteless but it was beautiful and um and I just like I shamed it I was like you know that your sibling over there like did pretty good and then last year I got over 100 oranges off of each of my trees wow and this year it's that's what orange shaming does yeah so maybe you just need to get out there and be like, look, <laughs> you see all those blooms on that lemon tree over there? Step it up. <laughs> I'm going I'm to do it after this, actually. There you go. <laughs> and this year I I've been looking, and I mean, it's, it's crazy. Like they are so loaded with blooms this year. Um, my Meyer lemon, I think, uh, may possibly be dead. <laughs> this last breeze. <laughs> It was all full of blooms before the freeze and then it, it killed everything. And I'm, I think I'm going to have to prune it back literally to the, to the, uh, yeah. So it's, it is not happy at all, but it's, it was its first year. So the first year I usually try to baby my fruit trees and stuff. And then after that, they're kind of on their own. Like you either make it or you don't. Yeah, they, I don't they, have time to baby you beyond a year. That's another reason why I never became a parent. <laughs> they really, they should want to produce more because I want to use them. I want to learn Right, them. right. They should want to, to be useful. It should. It doesn't even really have any leaves on it. It's not dead. <laughs> it doesn't really have any leaves. Do, walk, do you walk. water it? Yes. I mean, okay. Put them we in had the a, ground. a lot of rain come through yeah recently. yeah put them in the ground they'll probably be happier thanks i have to really play i have to you know design Plan. my yard for permaculture and figure out where they're gonna go yeah you can um depending on how you prune them too they can be a good like living fence i've never pruned them okay should I'm i I um, am probably not the best person to ask because in case you haven't figured it out, like, like my, my goal in life is to one day write the lazy gardener's guide to growing food, <laughs> but not call it lazy. I think it needs to be like something that sounds better than that. The, um, I, I had a perfect title for it one time and I can't remember what it was, but it was like the um, lackadaisical, I think maybe guide to growing food. The lackadaisical person's guide. Yeah. I like it. Because there's um, like, you know, the whole idea of like leaving, leaving leaves and stuff. I'm like, that's, that's totally, you know, it's very helpful to the environment to just leave the leaves where they are. And then I don't have to go out there and rake them up. So, you know, you can call it lazy or you can call it being kind to the environment. I prefer to look at the benefits, you know. It's a good way to look at it. It's a I'm glass kind of way to look at right, it. Right, right. Um, because I'm interested, um, I like to ask people uh, what their death meal would be. Like if you're on your deathbed and you oh, have like that, that last my meal. Final meal. Yeah. So I'm on my deathbed. I'm not like on death row or something. Uh, I mean, <laughs> you know, I don't. I don't know what you've done. What to am get I to dying that from? I, you know, do I have an appetite? No. Okay. Let what is your last meal going to be? You know. So like I'm on the Titanic and I know it's going to sink tomorrow. What am I getting mm -hmm. off the buffet? Yeah. And it's a big buffet. Like it's like. Like everything's available. Washington. Like you've got all of it there. Yeah. All of it. Wow. Can I go back in time too? Sure. Can I, can I time travel for my last meal? Because there was this place in Mexico that we used to get these tacos arabes. 
and it was called Pepe's Tacos. And like Tacos Arabes, they call them, uh, well, it's like the Tacos Al Pastor now, but they've changed it. So it has like the pineapple and stuff in it. So like in Mexico, did we talk about this when you and I talked? There was the, the, the Pepe's Tacos. Did we have this discussion? I, I know we've talked about some of the food that you grew up on there. So this and, guy- And going and spending your money there when you were a kid? Right, yeah. Um, so this this taco place, I actually, like every one of us who grew up there during this time are obsessed with these tacos. And when I went back, I was like, okay, that's one of the things I have to eat. And there's like all these other different places that have them now, but they're not the same. So this guy, when I researched him on Google, I'm giving a lot of plugs to Google today. Um, because I was curious, because as an adult and I was thinking back about it, I'm like, it was kind of like fusion-y because, um, so when I learned that he was actually a, an immigrant from Lebanon to Puebla, it made perfect sense because it was like that Middle Eastern wow. Mexican fusion, mm -hmm. yeah, perfection. And, you know, this was in the eighties. Um, so fusion food wasn't even, you know, I don't even know if it was a thing then, <laughs> but <laughs> this guy and, and the, so the tacos Arabes, you know, he had the, like the, the shawarma, like the meat on the spit, the vertical, spit. vertical spit. Yeah. yeah. And he would carve it off, but it was like the most delicious thing. And I think it was like shawarma, but because it was, Mexico where they do a lot of pork I think it was pork instead of whatever it would have been in the Middle East probably goat or lamb or something lamb or beef yeah yeah so um and then it was sort of like a combination between a pita and a taco so it wasn't as thick as a pita but it wasn't as thin as a taco like a gordita no it was it was literally like a like a cross between a pita and a and a flour tortilla okay right and then all that meat was in there and then it had this great like chipotle kind of like a cholula sauce that you would put on it and it was like the grease would soak <laughs> i'm hungry i know right like i mean it was like you could you'd walk by and you would smell it and it was just amazing and like i said i went back for my 40th birthday and and ate you know, it, it was a taco out of it and it was, it was good, but it wasn't the same. <clears throat> and I know like memory is people's, but I have a very good memory for food and flavor. Um, so if I could go back, so I would have some of that for sure. Um, I would, I would want like a smorgasbord because I would want, well, you can have as much as you want a, a variety. So like one of my other favorite meals that I've ever eaten was in Israel and I ate a, well, they called it a falafel because everything is called a falafel. <laughs> it was like a falafel platter, but it was so much more than what we think of as a falafel here. Um, and that was just amazing. I don't even remember what all was on it, except it had amazing. It was like, it was literally like, it was this restaurant in old Jerusalem and they brought out like this platter that was covered with food and there were there was just two of us it was my mom and I and we were eating there <laughs> and but I had been really sick so I really hadn't eaten anything yet and I'd been there for like two days so I think that was part of it too I was really hungry but oh my god it was so delicious the hummus was delicious the falafel balls were delicious the pita was delicious everything they served with it was delicious I can't I mean olives and there was like all this stuff on there um I think yeah, so that would definitely be part of my final meal. Um, what else? And then, you know, an amazing dessert. Okay. Which, which I've had a lot of desserts that I really enjoy. Can't skip um, dessert. No, especially. Might even here. start with it, just in case. Not, yeah, you know, start and finish. I mean, you know, have it twice. Um, I can't decide. I'll have two. <laughs> So yeah, and for me to pick a favorite dessert, that would be really hard to do. All right, so tacos and like a meze platter. Yeah. And then um, give me like your top three to five movies. Oh, my top three to five movies. 
Yeah. Okay, this might be embarrassing. Because this has nothing to do with Southern Swell whatsoever. Right. Yeah, I get that. Um, my top three to five movies. I don't know, man. There's a lot of movies. I think so. Top. Okay, Top Gun. Like, I mean, that's just a great movie. I love that. I just movie. watched that yesterday. I mean, like, how can you not? And I mean, I don't know what your attraction is, but. <laughs> But Tom Cruise in that movie is just so much fun to watch. Um, and I like love, airplanes? I love, yeah, I love the soundtrack and of course the the high speed kick the tires and light the fires. Or is that a different one? <laughs> Was that a Top Gun uh, one or is that Independence Day? Independence Day would have to be another favorite. I love Independence Day. I'm going to have okay. to Okay, that's random. So um, I'm a I love Will Smith and I love sci-fi stuff. So, you know, I mean, um, any food-related ones? Food-related movies. Like for me, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Oh, absolute yeah. top five. Oh, really? Yeah, love that. Yeah. Uh, Spaceballs. <laughs> okay. Shawshank Redemption. That was a good one. I don't know if it's my top five though, because, but it was it was a very good movie. Yeah. Forrest Gump. Yeah. A lot of food references. Life there. is like a box of chocolates. Sorry. Right. Shrimp, boiled shrimp, fried shrimp. All that shrimp. My my dad is a list person. He will start. He'll start saying things, and he'll kind of get in this zone. And I used to do that to him all the time. He'd, he'd be in the middle of one of these like long lists and I'd be like, bold shrimp, fried shrimp, <laughs> shrimp cocktail, <laughs> gumbo shrimp. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway. Thanks for joining us at the table today and being a part of the conversation. If you haven't already, head on over to our website, southernsoil.org, and be sure to sign up for our newsletter and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. As always, support your local farmers and let's grow our local food communities together. Have a great day. I think my dog just farted. Well, mine was over here making weird noises a second ago, and I was like, blue hush. He either snorted or farted or something. Sure Snored. Smelly dog farts. <laughs>